Hello, Internet. I'm Matt, and I'm here with my co-host. Shannon from Down the Webline. Woo! And you are listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man World, where we'll be unearthing deep cuts and forgotten stories in Spider-Man lore. Our goal is to find these lost gems and share them with you as we discover what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Uh, it's an exciting day. It's one of my favorite stories. All right. And which story is that? It's called Here There Be Monsters. It's from Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 2, Issue 14. It was written by Paul Jenkins. The art was done by Paulo Rivera. So he did the pencils, the inking, the color, all that. Mostly because it's uh, like a Photoshop painted comic, which makes it extra special. It was lettered by Corey Petit and edited by Tom Brevert. I like I like the roll on the R. Good good touch there. Rivera, the, yeah. all my Spanish classes coming back, helping me out. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the art in this is definitely a very different look. I want to get to that a bit. Um, just to note, this uh, was released. The release date was May twelfth, two thousand four. So this is from a lifetime ago, in my mm. estimation. Yes. Uh, and you can. You can just grab this one. It is a couple of bucks physically. It's in a trade, volume three. Here there be monsters that go for, you know, what a trade goes for, wherever you get it, used, new, or otherwise. It's on Comixology for a couple of bucks. They also have the trade digitally. And this is on Marvel Unlimited. So dig right in. <laughs> yeah. And this is also a part of our block about uh, the focus being from other characters looking in on Spider-Man. Um, so the focus is on different people and their perspectives and perceptions of Spider-Man. Right. And, and yeah. do you want to, like, this is a pretty tight story. So if you want to lead the synopsis, I think that will yep. maybe do a lot of the coverage too. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, so this is, like we said, it's a, a, a fully painted standalone story. So it's its own little thing. Um, and it takes place on the ro- a rooftop in the Bronx and features uh, a young man with cerebral palsy. So he's sort of trapped in his own body. And he watches a battle between Spider-Man and Morbius, the living vampire. And we see how it affects his life. So we can start digging in. Right. And before we get to the the, the, the meat of this, the, the most of it, I want to first uh, go over these initial two pages. Because the opening, I think, is one of the strongest parts of this book. Where the first page, we have a four-quadrant tier look of kind of like the people of New York, but talking about Spider-Man. Uh, we have this kind of like super nerd talking about him with uh, diagrams and all kinds of things in his room. And then JJ with uh, Betty Brant there. And some mom and then some crook that Spider-Man just busted. I I, I particularly love this page because it's just this idea of exactly what you're talking about, like Spider-Man perceived from all these different angles and uh it's a fun insight to how spider-man would be perceived across the world which we don't get too much because we're usually too close to the character yeah there's this um with at least with jj and with this uh sort of conspiracy nerd uh there's this sort of hyper focus on the individual and who he is while we have like with the mom she's not even sure she's never seen him she just thinks that maybe it's a, a myth you know or that He's not an individual hero, but maybe multiple people. You know, you have the crook who is, 
you know, looking to get out of their own personal responsibility. You know, they, they got webbed up and the cop is interviewing them and they're like, no, I didn't do anything. Spider-Man is a menace. He just came and he attacked me and I didn't do anything wrong. You know, and then on the, the next page, we have the continuation of this. We have Doc Ock in the sort of Hannibal Lecter style room, refusing to talk about him. And we have Aunt May, who's saying glowing things about him, obviously. And I think probably my personal favorite are the the two ladies of the night who he was uh, he was very polite to them and asked if they were models. And it was very flattering. And they they have such wonderful feelings about him and feel protected. Um, but ultimately, what it comes down to is no one, at least on the surface, seems to know who he is or the real person. Even Aunt May, which in 2004, she does know that uh, Spider-Man is indeed Peter. But the way the story approaches it is that none of these people actually know what it's like to be him. Yeah, I, I liked that theme, but I thought the inclusion of Aunt May for that one panel kind of threw it off a touch because mm-hmm. at this point, especially she does, she forgets again. As uh, she does. I guess that first one wasn't technically her. Anyway, yeah. Anyways. um, Yeah. And then we get to the rest of the story. Yes. So it's Joey Beale is our, is our character for the story. I mean, he's our point of view and we really have so much based around him and he's this poor kid who's been burdened with, I mean, a really dire case of cerebral palsy. He's unable to really talk or communicate, move. I mean, just oh yeah, kind he's, of grim. Yeah, he's physically trapped in a body. Right. And, but we get his perspective through his through his thought bubbles, which are essentially a, a person who is completely free. You know, they regret their position in life as far as with the their physical with their relationships with others, and that they can't communicate. But in a way, he is completely free from you know he's he's not his disability in his own head. I do want to know, you said thought bubbles there, and these are captions. And I'm not saying that just to be pedantic, but I feel like that makes a really big choice here. Like, we're at that point where, God, wasn't it a Jemis or someone who basically said no more thought bubbles, so they weren't in Marvel anymore? But for this story, I think them being captions and not being thoughts coming from his body, but are like this separate narrative in a way, actually fits the theme a lot better and yeah I, I, th- I didn't know what they were called <laughs> oh that's okay i um i also think um because i got into a weird thing with people about lettering today looking a little differently i'm seeing when they choose to use word balloons and captions with him uh it it's almost like he's a different person because the captions are mostly when he's alone versus the the word bubbles and most of his word bubbles are kind of these onomatopoeias gasps kind of a thing and with this art, the the word balloons look wrong. I I don't know quite they, else. To they're say. they're a bit bright. I think maybe the but I think it's just because it's so incredibly painted. Like the attention to detail in the painting is so amazing. It is, but it's not like photorealistic. There's definitely some surrealist elements here. I mm-hmm. God, I swear this is a style, but I cannot like you know a painterly style, and I can't put my finger on what it would be called. Yeah. Yeah. No art training here in this room. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do like is as we begin the story is that there are a lot of 
cool colors. And as we see later, um, uh, there's a lot of warm colors when we encounter the actual conflict that happens. But we sort of follow his perspective, which is him realizing that he's a burden on his family and that there was a lot to overcome and there was strife, um, but that they love each other. Um, right. And talk of... Uh, sacrifice and not him sacrificing but his family sacrificing to take care of him yeah and so a real lack of self-pity coming from his perspective and so we get him on the on the rooftop uh overlooking the city and this is his favorite place to be and it's sort of this interesting part of the roof that he likes to sit at that sort of opens up and he can see straight down across uh the city and all the skyscrapers yeah and, and oh, go on. I was just saying, it's kind of funny to me that his dad leaves him there alone for so long. I mean, I guess it's kind of nice he gets some time to himself. It just, I don't know. It, it just struck me is all. Uh, I think it's fine. Um, uh, he's he's on his own like it is a concern that if he were to start aspirating or something like that but for the purposes of the story this is where he likes to be and he's very clear even though he can't uh communicate with words and he goes into that that he does insist on things so i'm sure they brought him up one time and he made it clear that this is where he likes to be so they do what he wants him to do so fair enough yeah but Um... he goes into talking about how he may be stuck in the chair but he doesn't actually feel trapped when he's on the rooftop on the rooftop he feels free like he can fly mm-hmm. and yeah, then I mean, yeah, get a on. lot of crazy perception from there of mm-hmm. it, it's out of his body but but we're seeing all these different things kind of beautiful vistas and i that's around when the color palette starts shifting and it's funny because it's cooler in the foreground and warmer in the background so that goes to that transition to the theme you were talking about earlier oh yeah and uh, we see spider-man fly by and on his webs and it's like the exciting the whole reason why he wants to be up there is that he knows that this is part of i would say spider-man's patrol and he gets to see him so this elusive person that we're talking about in the beginning where no one seems to know anything about him he feels like he really knows him because he sees him all the time like he's not a myth you know he's a person and there's this sort of atmosphere that draples with him as he swings around and that helps him feel even more alive And uh, as he sees him go by, he also sees, you know, he realizes that he's searching for somebody and he sees who he's searching for in the uh, building across the abandoned building across the way, which is our friend Morbius. Right. And right when he sees Morbius, uh, his dad carts him to go downstairs because it's getting dark and cold with a uh, wheel of fortune on five minutes want to wear a van who's wearing a bikini. I don't know. That line like stuck out like a sore thumb in this one to me. You know, weirdly enough, Wheel of Fortune comes on a lot in, in places where they're the handicapped, so I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, it, I guess that works. It was just, it, it was so out of left field, which in a way works because, you know, the dad has his whole life going on and is taking care of him. And so it's uh, kind of like a kind of like a violent shift of tone coming in and realizing mm-hmm. that and realizing that he can't do much about it just speaks to the entire story. Yeah. So they get another slice of life looking at um, Joey's life as they his family takes care of him, puts him in bed, uh, mm-hmm. does all this stuff. Meanwhile, uh, Morbius is sort of lurking in the building, has his eyes on him, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, he insists on going back up to the roof again the next day. So dad takes him up there saying that he's going to be up there a while. 
and uh, that is when Morbius uh, strikes. Right, and uh, it's weird because Morbius knows his name, and I guess that's because he's been creeping, but it almost feels like he's slightly psychic. I don't know, it's it's a good mystery, and this Morbius isn't Morbius like we know him. This is like straight from Nosferatu. Yes, it's a very Nosferatu version of morbius so that whole like mind reading sort of thing feels very like old school vampire yeah so he enters it's interesting because he he enters through that that interesting architecture on the roof and begins to sort of provoke joey you know talk to him about he's how he's trapped in his body and that you know he understands that because he himself is trapped in his own body and as he's about to strike, uh, he gets a Spider-Man foot to the face. Right. And I don't know, this page felt weird to me because, I mean, obviously, I mean, like, it's not the same at all, especially in one's being a predator. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But I mean, we don't get Joey's reaction through this whole sequence, which I thought was kind of a lack because we don't know what he's thinking while he's going on. We Because, I mean, there is a kernel of truth to what Morbius is saying, and we don't know how he reacts to that or not. And I think that felt like the clutch of the entire story. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think uh, he's... He doesn't know but we already know what joey thinks about all this stuff like does joey feel trapped in his body no he doesn't uh he feels unfortunate about his relationships with his family but he doesn't actually feel trapped you know especially on the rooftop so morbius is saying these things and these are things that we we understand is uh if you have a disability that you might feel trapped in your own body but in an odd way him saying this to joey doesn't quite hit as i think morbius is intending yeah, I I mean, you're right, that is all set up. I just, without anything in that moment or whatever, it just, I don't know, it just makes it, yeah, he's just a bad guy, which feels a little, little cut and dry for what I feel like this story is going for, because this is more slice of life than Spider-Man beat him up. Uh, I suppose, um, but we do get at the fact that we're talking about people feeling trapped in bodies, so yeah. I mean, ultimately that's what they're yeah. trying to get at, so... I think Morbius is still a good fit just because Morbius is a person who is not going for becoming a vampire uh, and has always been looking for a cure, that sort of thing. So this is not what he wanted. He has felt trapped in his own body. So is he a monster? That sort of thing. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, Spider-Man comes in and starts quipping and fighting Morbius and this is like the greatest thing for Joey he is enjoying every minute of what he can see watching Mm -hmm. these two sort of titans fight each other in front of him is exciting and thrilling and he doesn't seem to be the least bit scared of any of it yeah we actually get this one bit where it seems like there's just a huge smile on his face so yeah it's it's amazing to him. It's what he's been hoping for. Um, yeah, and the and it's very dynamic. I love the 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 full page spread of you know Spider Man's got his foot on Morbius's head. Morbius has got his claws on his face, and they're just flying by. Um, and it does. It has this very epic feel. This this fight, even though it's in terms of Spider Man fights, it's not really any of his big scale ones, but it does feel very dramatic, especially in the with the art style and with the the lighting, the the golds and the reds. Right. 
and yeah i like joe like the the box here says like god's fighting over heaven and earth like it's i mean it's big they're at skyscrapers they're cracking windows while they're blowing at each other i mean you're right in the scale to what we see in the comics but i if you're just some normal schmo seeing any of those fights it would be a heck of a thing mm-hmm. and uh then he sees them both sort of fall into the distance mm-hmm. And I think he he believes that it's over. And then all of a sudden, through that gap in the in the architecture, Spider-Man comes in and he comes in in a similar body posture as when Morbius entered, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So he kind of creeps in and then, you know, he begins to sort of chat with Joey. And so that that sort of ends his uh, his I want to say him becoming almost monster like in a sense when he enters. Hold on lost my thing i did it stopped playing oh no oh never mind. we're back okay uh and he's sort of trying to reassure joey telling him that you know it's okay and that morbius can't help who he is you know that don't be mad at morbius for trying to attack you um he can't help he help who he is he's trapped in his body just like you are and honestly just like he is that he himself you know can't help what he is either and to sort of as he as he leaves back through that space again, he pulls off his mask and he reveals who he is to Joey as a, a sort of apology for what Joey can interpret, you know, for all that happened and to sort of give him something. And really Joey's takeaway from all that is that, you know, that atmosphere that's following Spider-Man, you know, it wasn't like energy or excitement. It was the sort of sadness about, you know, the things that he can control in his life, the, the the being trapped by responsibility sort of thing that he was able to glean from his conversation. And that in a way he feels, even though he's in a chair and he has cerebral palsy, he feels freer than these two people who are literally fighting over the top of him and flying around and doing all this sort of thing that he couldn't even hope to come close to being able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way they word it is, I realize I feel sorry for him, which is loaded with everything you just said and yeah it's it's a it's a heck of an ending it's such a different perspective and idea i mean this is certainly out of the box and i I can't the closest i can come to thinking like a story like this would be the kid who collected spider-man oh yeah yeah it has a little bit of that energy going through it you know and the the sharing the realization that like this bright colorful figure that no one really knows about and some people make assumptions and they're always assumptions about you know someone who's free and powerful and can do what he wants and you know all of a sudden it's like not the actual reality of the person and joey be able to to not only glimpse that but understand that and then have he feels sorry for them and that might be the wrong terms like because that sounds like pity but really like an empathy like he gets it you know yeah he i mean he gets how trapped spider-man is and what he's dealing with because of this responsibility and what spider-man yeah what spider-man deals with and how much he loses in his life for it is pretty much what he's seeing in that moment which is pretty perceptive 
Yeah. I think he also has the frame of reference with his own family and his family and their responsibility to taking care of him and all the work and the, the how it changes their life. Like his sister only being able to go out one night a week because she has to stay home and watch him. You know, his dad having to fit things to his schedule so that he can take care of him. And so he understands that the weight of the responsibility. I feel like he's seen that face before, you know, in his own family and perhaps and then he also knows you know his own experience being trapped so it's like this this perspective that he understands without actually having to share words you know that he he knows it yeah i mean that hits it all i mean it's a powerful issue but i mean it's it's pretty direct and clear in what it's saying i think yeah it's a it's a pretty i like honestly going back and looking at the art because it's rare and not that art doesn't do a lot of heavy lifting in most stories but this one like it really does do a lot of the work um in conveying the emotions and the weight of scenes you know and thematic elements so props to paulo um so yeah it really is a comic that also like um you mentioned that it is about how you feel too like your own lived experience you know that's what it's interested in yeah i mean i i feel ultimately um you know how you're going to receive this i mean because there isn't much in the way of plot or anything it's just you know how how do you feel about what this got at and i i found a handful of other reviews and by and large people seem to really enjoy it uh, i know you do too and it's uh i don't know it, it certainly is a different one and one of the biggest things for this comic too i feel is too often when talking comics people you know enjoy superhero comics but are kind of usually talk about them like there's only a limited palette that you can get from marvel or dc and this is so much beyond those bounds and this is the strength of it being the the b title or whatever where you can do these throwaway stories that ultimately resonate more for people but um are not something you could try to crank out every month either i say yeah that is definitely true and i find that the sort of one-off or maybe two-part stories because they're so short that you can when they're when they're well done like you get to that story very quickly there's no dragging it out over multiple issues that you can have something very cohesive and paced well because you don't have to worry about pacing it over a long arc so or deal with the b plot or yeah. deal with marvel event tie-in or any of that it's just yeah, yeah the so story yeah so i think it's it's a place where you know i i'm not a huge fan of jenkins but i feel like this let him work on something and pace it just right and get to the point. And I honestly feel like he has people in his life with disabilities because the way it's written is just like, yeah, on point. you don't write something like this without inspiration. That's mm -hmm. very telling through this and uh, is a strength for it without a doubt. Yeah. All right. So you're typing a question at me that is a heck of a question to drop on someone without giving them a second to think about. It. Let's see it. Does, <laughs> Does having superpowers equate to having a disability? Which, uh, there's a loaded question. <laughs> I think so. It's it's really loaded. Because I, when, I, when I was thinking about this question, it was, you know, it's easy to put it in terms of, let's say, mutants. So, like, X-Men and all that. And the fact that sometimes those superpowers that they get are disabilities. It affects them physically. It others them. And so, oh, like Cyclops not being able to look without his glasses, his, or... yeah, or or Nightcrawler. Honestly, he's kind of furry and blue, so when he goes out, like people notice. Um, I mean, that's 
I, I mean, I think something more like Rogue is more mm-hmm. equatable. Like, she essentially has lost the sensation of touch because she can't touch anything. Though, the other end of that, and I think it's more equatable with a character that we explore more with that idea is like Daredevil, which is, there's been a lot about this. Um, and I, I don't know every aspect of it being told, but basically like Daredevil is representation for at least a disability in comics that's very prominent being blind obviously but a lot of people point out you know he's blind but he's not really blind because he has these superpowers that make it so that he has essentially better perception than sight though with some loss still and for that it's like it's good that it's there but is that the best way to go about it i don't necessarily think that's great framing for a question or how to write stories so i haven't paid it much mind but i'm aware of the fact that you know he's not really a blind character when you break it down true so when i was thinking about this i was thinking in terms of othering so like you no longer fit in so when we were watching or reading uh joey's story here we we can see very obviously how he doesn't fit in there's so much about social interactions and family dynamics and all that that he's not able to fulfill or he fulfills in a way that is othering. So you're you're existing outside of society basically because mm-hmm. you can't participate or if you do it's yeah. othered like you said. Yeah. So when we have someone like, you know, we look at Spider-Man and we obviously we know he's Peter Parker and Peter Parker, you know, has is no He's a supermodel and he's fine. Yeah, he's gorgeous whatever. So, uh <laughs> He, but that, that we don't really ever think like, we think like we would like to be Spider-Man. We would like to be able to crawl on walls and swing from rooftops and pick up cars or whatever. But the actual lived experience of Peter Parker and, you know, the, the losses he's sustained, the sacrifices he's had to make, the responsibility he carries and how it affects his relationships with others has this sort of othering effect. You know, how many times has he wished that, you know, or has like thrown his costume away, I am done with being Spider-Man or has done things to try and remove his powers. So there is this sort of othering thing that happens. He no longer has a normal life and that affects him. And in a way, it does come off as a disability if you look at it through that lens. So I think this... Yeah, I can see that. When when I was getting there, I guess I was keeping the frame of Marvel, but the character I go to first when I think about that is Oracle, DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Batgirl, shine spa- uh, sh- spine shattered. And then uh, grows to find information brokering to be the way that she can help contribute. I just, there's a lot there that was really powerful for people looking more at disabilities within superhero comics that was essentially stolen and it's just it's an interesting comparison you're making but i feel like at the same time you could make that argument for like certain racial components or not even like being disabled but just being like slightly disfigured and then like the monster i mean you could go to frankenstein and kind of make the same argument and i think it's a larger relatable bit at that point and disability would fall in with that so yeah oh yeah sorry i wound around and I, <laughs> I mean, that was gonna happen when i was trying to tackle that kind of question <laughs> just my first thought it's a it, it's an interesting mental exercise we'll call it that yeah yeah on monday morning Woo. yeah do it <laughs> all right so what are the rankings let's yeah. see <laughs> 
yeah how, how how does this compare to uh you know the terminator santa cover comic you know <laughs> all right even though i love this and it's in my personal like top 10 i will say within the top 20 for me all right let's see here at 19 is double shot which is also kind of a personal i mean i put it above that um and then 18 oh yeah that's the one i wanted to compare it to was ray of light which was the one you kind of swung on here with which was also this kind of toned down painterly style kind of uh spider-man from another like very relatable actually maybe more so now that i think about it than uh the kid who collected spider-man to this comic mm-hmm. oh yeah um, just in aesthetic and again that that outsider looking in perspective um, right I'm trying to think. And in terms of relatability, I'd say Ray of Light is more relatable. So I would put it uh, here. There be monsters at 19. Okay. Oh. All right. Number 19 out of 80. Yeah. Pretty good shot. Yeah. I guess we're going to have to get you a real stinker so you can, so we can really question, you know, what's at the bottom of the list. Poor short Halloween's at the bottom of the list. <laughs> Where it deserves to be. <laughs> so cruel. <laughs> we we had a recent petition to swap the last two <laughs> items on the list. So I guess we'll have to get to that sometime. I don't know how we even tackle that. Because I don't know if I want to read these again. <laughs> Between uh, Trouble and the Time Before. Which I don't know if you've read either of these ever. Sounds like hopefully I haven't. <laughs> um yeah uh and i i got some notes that people liked our last interview with cats so it's been nice getting a little more feedback from people and if you have anything you want to say maybe even potential uh recommendations of what we should check out you know hit us up and oh <laughs> what are we covering next time let's say tangled web seven through nine all right what is that <laughs> That is the one with the cab driver. All right. Let's talk know. about cabbies. <laughs> I don't know. remember the name of the issue specifically. That's, that's okay. I was just looking for something so it might cue people in. So it, it's that tangled web with the cabbies. You know, everyone's favorite. <laughs> and <laughs> thank you to everyone for listening. If you're enjoying Untold and the Amazing Spider Talk, you can support us both with that Patreon. A buck gets you in the door with that Slack. You know, a little more, you get exclusive content, like the Told Talks of Spider-Man. And more will get you exclusive art. Special thanks to the Ellie Badge for that theme song. And... I don't have a funny outro for this issue because it's way too sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so until I kick Matt in the face, oh jumping God. off a building, <laughs> make mine untold. Wow. Wow. Right to the violence. <laughs>